0: Welcome to Canada's most
1: irreverent talk show. This is The Andrew Lawton Show, brought to you by True North. Coming up, how practicing religious freedom landed a pastor behind bars, winning hearts and minds over in the gunfight, and woke television. The Andrew Lawton Show starts right now. Welcome everyone to Canada's most irreverent talk show. This is the Andrew Lawton Show here on True North. Good to have you tuned into the program as we delve into an issue that if I were to tell you the story without the details of the where and when, you would think I was talking about North Korea or China or Cuba, but no, I'm actually talking about Canada, a country which right now has a pastor behind bars because he was exercising his right or his supposed right to religious liberty. I mentioned this briefly at the end of the show earlier in the week, and I I promise to delve into this in more detail today because this is of critical importance, not just to religious people, but to anyone in Canada who wants to avail themselves of their so-called constitutional freedoms. At stake is his refusal, the government says, to comply with bail conditions. His lawyer, James Kitchen from the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedom, stresses that he never agreed to any such conditions, so he couldn't actually be charged with violating them. But regardless, with the trial date set for May 3rd, Pastor Coates could find himself behind bars for another two and a half months almost. Joining me on the line now to talk about this, the implications of it, and more importantly, what's being done to push back against this, is John Carpe, president of the Justice Centre for Constitutional Freedoms. John, thanks for joining me today. Just a a terrible story.
0: Pastor Coates is in jail now. It's been more than a week. And um, this is in... uh, It's like we're on par with these repressive regimes that 11 months ago we... Used to look down on as morally inferior, and now we're locking up pastors. We're locking up Canadians coming back from abroad, and surprising level of, of support uh, for those measures. It, it's it's quite amazing. It's a, a lot of people don't seem to cherish freedom or the free society at, at all. Uh, that's, that's yeah, a scary.
1: I I mean. I had mentioned in my intro that if I were to tell the details of the story without giving the location, people would assume I was talking about one of those regimes you just mentioned. You know, North Korea, China, Cuba. But here we are in Canada. I noted a a trial date has been set for May 3rd. So this could be another two plus months of being behind bars here, uh, notwithstanding the application for release that his lawyers put forward. But how did we get to this point? I mean, for people that haven't followed this, how do we get to the point where a pastor is behind bars? In this particular case,
0: I think it's fear of COVID. Uh, I think the fear mongering back in in uh, March of 2020 has been very successful. And once people are in a state of fear, they, to a large extent, they stop listening to facts, reason, logic. Uh, fear diminishes our capacity to think. And uh, when people are in a state of fear. They want a very simple solution that can be implemented immediately. They don't, you know, when you're afraid, that's not the time for nuanced, careful thinking about possible options and pros and cons. And so unfortunately the fear is being perpetuated by the, uh, the government's propaganda machine, which is the mainstream media. They are talking about all these case numbers every day, and that's keeping Canadians in a state of panic. Even though uh, these PCR tests are were never designed to diagnose COVID, and they have false positive rates of 90%, but still you get the scary headlines. Oh, you know another 3,000 cases in Ontario, and 5,000 cases in Quebec, and 2,000 cases in BC. So people in a state of fear. I think that's a big problem, and that is why we have people in jail.
1: I want to talk about the case specifically, though, here, John, because what's happened is the Alberta government has put in uh, very significant restrictions. They allowed churches to open with a reduced capacity, I think it was 15%. Why was that not enough? Why why was it not viable just for this church or any other church to say, all right, it's not ideal, but we can still open. We can still do this and, and follow these rules.
0: Well, it's arbitrary when you consider that restaurants are not limited to uh, 15% of the fire code. Uh, the, the Walmarts and superstores are open. The liquor stores are open. Uh, these, these rules are so arbitrary and they're they're unscientific i mean I've, I've asked the alberta government repeatedly what on what basis do you believe that asymptomatic people are spreaders of the virus show me the science and you just get stonewalled every question you ask of the government about lockdowns about their science you get stonewalled you get no response so uh, i i think you know it, b- religious freedom is 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 one very important aspect of it but there, there there's another part of it that uh pastor Coates, like so many other albertans he sees that these measures are stupid uh they're, they're not bringing about any good they're arbitrary and uh, and and they're futile because uh there's not a single example in history of any society country province uh, that, that uh, succeeded in vanquishing a virus by placing all kinds of restrictions on, on the entire population for 11 months.
1: With Pastor Coates' case, he is being accused of violating bail conditions. Now, I know that uh, your, uh, your lawyer, or not your lawyer, rather, but I know that at your, your organization, James Kitchen, who's uh, taking up this case, has argued that he never agreed to any conditions. Explain this, because I, I think this is an area where the mainstream media is uh, distorting a little bit about what's happening.
0: Well, he was, uh, you know, the, the police have been... Uh... Uh, the health authorities and and law enforcement, and I think including in some cases police as well, police and and health authorities have been uh, harassing the church for for many months. And at one point, uh, the police said that the pastor had made an undertaking a solemn promise to refrain from having uh, normal church services as opposed to the the, uh, government restrictions. Uh, but he never made such a commitment. That's more of a technical detail. The The reason he's in jail right now is because he will not um, violate his conscience by making a solemn promise to refrain from having regular church services. That's the bottom line. And some people have said, well, he's in jail by choice. And th- th- there's a kernel of truth in that insofar as if, if he agreed and said, okay, uh, we're going to we're, we're just going to obey these, these unscientific and irrational health orders. Uh, if he made that commitment, he could be out of jail. But the bigger problem, though, is, is that Jason Kenney's laws and policies have put the pastor into this situation where he has to choose between following his conscience or, uh, or getting out of jail.
1: Now, those two things in a society that values or says it values religious liberty are not supposed to be in conflict, to follow the law and follow your conscience. Yet here we are.
0: But and Alberta's premier, Jason Kenney, gave a, a speech back in 2014 to uh, lawyers in Toronto and uh, was all about St. Thomas More and conscience rights and the spirit of the age and resisting the spirit of the age. And right now, the spirit of the age is saying that everybody must participate actively and enthusiastically in this futile quest to get rid of a virus. And if you don't participate, well, shame on you. You're a bad person and uh, you could end up in jail. And so it's kind of ironic that uh, Alberta's premier was the big defender of conscience rights and has a reputation that way. And uh, now in Jason Kenney's Alberta, we've got a pastor in jail whose conscience is telling him that uh, the, the pastor's conscience is telling him that he should obey God and not the unjust law that's not grounded in science.
1: You and I have talked about this in the past. One of the great challenges in constitutional cases in Canada is that as clear as the constitutional right to religious practice and right to assembly is there, we also have the so-called reasonable limits section of the Charter, which often is used to circumvent a lot of these other liberties. And I guess the question is, when arguing this, how much is the court licensed to just say, you know what, it's a pandemic, we've got to be careful?
0: Well, I think that goes to the heart of the evidence that the government's not putting forward. It goes to the heart of the fearmongering in March. I mean, in March of 2020, no, not March next month. Um, the uh, COVID is real. People are people are are dying with COVID, and uh, but the fear of COVID is exaggerated and it's unwarranted and it's unnecessary. And one good thing about the the court actions and we have we have several on the go british columbia alberta uh manitoba we are going to force the government to have to explain itself and come up with the science and the government's going to be forced rather than just asserting oh you know the virus is really deadly it's really scary uh the lockdowns are working the lockdowns are saving lives rather than just making these assertions the government's going to have to back everything up with evidence. And even if we lose these court cases, it'll be interesting to see governments for the first time having to actually produce evidence to back up their claims.
1: One of the things that the government used very early on in this is, well, you know, we don't know, so we need to be excessively broad and and really cast a a very wide net as we learn more about this. In, In your legal assessment, does that fly? Caution without evidence?
0: Yes, on a temporary basis. Uh, if But not a year in. And not when we've got all the facts. We know 11 months later, we know that the uh, the vulnerable population is, you know, somebody, say, 82 years old, in a nursing home, already dying of cancer, heart disease, emphysema, diabetes, etc. So if, if you're in a nursing home and you're already dying, COVID is going to shorten your life by four months or six months or eight months. However, we also know that children, youth, teenagers, 90% of the population, your chance of getting killed while driving a car is much higher than your chance of getting killed uh, by COVID. So we know the facts and in a courtroom setting, uh, the government is going to have to produce these facts and then try to explain why we should all be afraid based on the facts.
1: As far as Pastor Coates goes, am, am I correct that he is behind bars until May 3rd unless uh, some court intervention happens that releases him prior to that?
0: Yes, he would be. As things stand right now, he he's going to be locked up for the next eight weeks or so, or longer. Wow. Um, however, we're filing an, an appeal in the Alberta Court of Queen's Bench to um, uh, secure his, his release, and uh, we will... Um, that application will hopefully be heard uh, fairly soon, like uh, in, in the first week of March, hopefully. So we're hoping to get him out of jail before the May 3rd trial. That's the goal.
1: Has there been any documented outbreak of COVID at this church? I'm curious. no. So it's not even like the government is responding to something that was a demonstrable public health risk. No, and
0: you know, I've, uh, Dina Hinshaw, the chief medical officer in in Alberta, was asked what scientific evidence is there for uh, treating churches differently from, say, restaurants, and she had none. All she had was just anecdotal evidence, and said, "Well, you know, last July there was a conference somewhere, and 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 uh, you know, and and there was an outbreak. It's like, okay, so she doesn't have uh, she doesn't have scientific uh, evidence to back up why churches should be treated differently from restaurants. And that's the same argument in British Columbia in our court case. Uh, The government there is treating churches different from restaurants." And the the government has no evidence that there's outbreaks in churches.
1: One of the big challenges, and, and I'm sure you've probably had this problem as well, John, is that I have not been able to just keep track of how many different, what I would say are, are violations of liberty are taking place. I, I know earlier on it was businesses that were being hit with lockdown fines and then churches that were being ge- given these orders and and businesses. And I mean, how are you keeping on top of this? Because the, I, I know that you've had to turn down cases because there are just so many of them.
0: We have right now well over 100 uh, ticket cases which are uh, where somebody, you know, got a thousand dollar, twelve hundred dollar, or more ticket just for peacefully exercising their charter freedoms of association and assembly and so on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we have over a hundred of those. We've got very large court actions in Manitoba, Alberta, and, and British Columbia, and um, and then apart from the lockdown stuff, we have all of our other court cases on, you know. Religious freedom and and free expression and campus free speech. So we're we need to hire another uh, two, three, four lawyers as soon as possible. Uh, to, <laughs> so it, it's,
1: it's just, well, if you're, if you're a lawyer with a pension for civil liberties, listening in, you've got the all call there. Send John your resume. Uh, you know, it's funny when you talk, I mean, it's not funny actually, but when you talk about these lockdown things I, up until a couple of months ago, when we were seeing people get these fines for 800, 900, a thousand dollars there was, I think, a sense that, you know what, a lot of these are not going to stand up in court. That was the belief, and you still need to fight them, but the belief was that these things are absurd. We're not talking about something that can just be ripped up here when you've put a man behind bars. And and that, I think, is the the great injustice here, is that if you get a ticket for $1,500, there's an appeal of that. You don't have to pay it if you're fighting it. You can never get two months of your life back that you were put behind bars for daring to exercise your religious liberty.
0: Well, this would be like, you know, somebody that's getting a lot of speeding tickets and then the, the government says, well, we're, uh, we're going to take away your right to drive because you might speed again. Like when you get a speeding ticket, the, the, co- the officer doesn't ask you, you know, do you solemnly swear that you will never speed again? I mean, if he does ask you that, it, it's, you know, redundant and, and you don't have to answer it. But here, uh, the, the government's essentially saying to pastor quotes, you have to promise to adhere to these health orders. And if you don't make that promise, you're going to be locked up. And that's very different from issuing more tickets and more tickets and more tickets, because as you said, the Alberta government could just issue more tickets to the church and you know, we will take, we will defend against those charges and the government's going to have a hard time defending its health orders in court.
1: Yeah, and it says a lot about his character. By the way, that he was given the magic words to say that would not put him behind bars, and he didn't say them because he didn't believe them.
0: Well, uh, Jason Kenney was was uh, was was here on this interview, you know, saying the magic words uh, was was like Saint Thomas More refused to say the magic words. I recognize King Henry the Eighth as the head of the church in England. Those were the magic words, and he 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 said like, no, I I cannot say that and he lost his head over it so uh yeah it's um there's always uh, the danger of tyranny in uh, in human history and it, it's not limited to medieval england because we certainly have it right now in uh, in alberta today
1: Well, thankfully, we haven't gotten to the decapitation stage just yet. But uh, as you know, history shows that uh, heresy against the government has a a very steep penalty. John Carpe, president of the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms. Thanks for for taking up this case and and for coming on today, John. Glad to be with you, Andrew. Just a, a horrendous case. Pastor James Coates of the Grace Life Church in Edmonton, still behind bars because he wouldn't tell the government that he, as a pastor, would not have church. We've got to take a break. When we come back, more of The Andrew Lawton Show here on True North. Stay tuned. You're tuned in to The Andrew Lawton Show. Welcome back to the Andrew Lawton Show. I actually spoke a fair bit a couple of weeks back about the Liberal gun bill, C-21, which is going after law-abiding gun owners. And I took aim at Conservative leader Aaron O'Toole for giving what I thought was a very meandering and non-committal answer to what he would do for law-abiding gun owners. Now, that question and answer exchange was in a press conference Aaron O'Toole held that I had dialed into, and it actually triggered a huge amount of conversation and in an in some case, criticism towards Aaron, but also to me, in the gun community. I'm not going to relitigate all of it, but there were a lot of gun owners that were saying, hey, listen, Aaron, you said you were with us in the leadership race, what's changed? And other gun owners who said, well, listen, this is just how politics works. He can't be the guy that's jumping up and down saying, I'm going to give the rednecks back their AR-15s. That's how it would be characterized by the media. Now, I get it. There was truth on both sides of this, but I was very pleased a few days ago to see Aaron O'Toole give a very firm and committed position to Guns. And I wanted to play that for you because this is exactly what I had said on the show last week I wanted him to do. This is what I said I wanted him to talk about. And I'm not saying he did it because I told him that, but I do think he realized, seeing a lot of the conversation online, that he needed to put his position on the record. And I'm glad he did. Take a look.
2: The extent- The Trudeau Liberals are willing to go to divide Canadians is disappointing and dangerous. Their latest firearms laws are no exception. The way the Liberals seek to demonize law-abiding firearms owners, while at the same time introducing new measures to actually reduce sentences for criminals charged with illegal gun offences, is beyond confusing. Canadians deserve certainty and competence from their government. Let me be clear, an O'Toole government will repeal C-71. C21 and the May 2020 Order in Council. I will review existing firearms legislation to ensure it focuses on dealing with criminals rather than making life more difficult for law-abiding firearms owners. I will restore mandatory prison times for criminals that use a firearm in the commission of a crime. And I will significantly increase funding for border security to crack down on illegal firearm smuggling. Right, back to work.
1: Now, that is a perfectly sensible and actually a laudable commitment to firearms. He's saying we're going to roll back all the dangerous anti-fact and anti-gun owner policies that the Trudeau government has put in place, including the Order in Council last year, which summarily banned 1,500 models of so-called assault rifles, but also focus on where the crime is taking place, focus on border smuggling, focus on illegal trafficking of firearms, focus on guns that are being used in crimes rather than on law-abiding gun owners whose fire firearms have never been within five kilometers of a crime that's taking place. This is exactly what I wanted to hear, and I'm so glad we got it. I'm so glad we got an answer. Would I have liked it the first time? Yes, but if that's the position and it's on the record, well, he is the leader, then I'm very happy with it. But I do think there is an important discussion to be had along, along the lines of what I was bringing up earlier about the divide within the gun-owning community about this. Tracy Wilson, who I've had on the show before, she's a, a fantastic woman and a fantastic advocate for gun owners, did a, a live stream in, in which she talked about the press conference, which at the time was very much exploding in this world. And she had said that she doesn't want him to talk about guns at all during the election, just for the purposes of making gun owners feel better. And she raised a compelling argument, and I want you to take a listen to a a snippet of her live stream.
3: The title of this video is, I don't want Erin O'Toole to talk about guns, and neither should you. And here's why. Elections are not going to be won on giving guns back. Yes, we're going to vote for that because our guns are at stake here. But, moose. But the average Canadian is not going to vote for us to get our guns back. In fact, they might actually vote the opposite, but there's an opportunity here. This week, Andrew Lawton um, asked, he's an independent journalist, he asked a question of Aaron O'Toole during a scrum after a press conference. And he basically asked him to reaffirm the fact that he would uh, overturn the OIC and he, at the same time, he asked about overturning C21, which are two separate topics, so it should have been separated because they're two different issues. But in any event, Andrew is a great friend to the firearms community, he's a gun owner, and I get it. We all want to feel better, we all want to have our fears and our insecurities um, subsided. You know, we, we just wanna feel better and we want to, we wanna keep hearing that. But here's the problem, the rest of Canada doesn't. And this is gonna be hard for some people to hear. And and, and I get it, trust me. I worry about this file 24 hours a day. I eat, sleep, and breathe it. In fact, I don't sleep. I stay up at night worrying about you, worrying about me, worrying about our guns, worrying about the future of the country, worrying about an election. And the thing is, is that the majority of Canadians, they don't care. Whether or not they believe that gun bans against us would reduce crime, that's an entirely different topic from, do they actually want us to keep our guns? They don't. They don't care.
1: Like I said, I mean, people can disagree or agree on specific tactics, but no one can deny Tracy is a phenomenal advocate and a tireless advocate. She literally, if, you, if you're friends with her on Facebook as I am, you'll see she's working round the clock for gun owners and she's actually lobbying, meeting with MPs. She's doing all the heavy lifting. So when she says something like this, people need to listen. But the reason I bring that up is because there's a lot of truth to that idea that if a politician is going to walk into what is basically a a big old trap, and we know the media loves to set those, you want to try to get them out of it. And, And there are different ways to do that. Some politicians try to avoid the issues. Some try to avoid giving a particular position on the issues. When you do that, you oftentimes create problems on the other side in what happened with the press conference, where someone gives an answer that angers the people that are some people theorize uh, supposed to be on the receiving end of a wink wink in this so i'm of the mind that we need to have honesty and we need to have truth and we need to have integrity and i want politicians who are unafraid to take the bull by the horns and say this is what i believe but here's the point there is a lot of media backlash towards any conservative politician for any number of issues guns are going to be one social issues are going to be another It's never been more important to lay the cultural groundwork for a lot of these issues so that they do not become so toxic politically. And this is a longer-term problem. This is a longer-term process. This is what a lot of social conservative groups are doing. It's not just about getting people to vote a certain way. It's actually about changing hearts and minds, changing the culture, so that if a politician does speak up and says, I'm pro-life, they aren't vilified and pilloried. The same thing has to be done with firearms. You've got 2 million licensed gun owners in Canada in a country of 36, 37 million people. Most people in the country have never shot a gun. They've never fired a gun. A lot of people, especially in cities, which is where a lot of the politicians are coming from and which is where a lot of the journalists writing about guns are coming from, have never seen a gun, nor do they even know that firearms are a way of life for so many people. And it isn't just about rural folks. It's about family-owned gun businesses in cities and in small towns. It's about people in the north. It's about indigenous Canadians. It's about hunters. It's about competition shooters. It's about individual hobbyists and collectors. The people who own guns, the people who are affected by gun bans and restrictions that only go after the law-abiding are your friends, your neighbors, your family members, and they are just ordinary people who right now are being completely assaulted by the government's approach. I think the political discussion is important, but the cultural discussion is also important, and for the last while I've been grappling about the question of what can I do about this? You may remember back in the summer, I was in Ottawa for the Integrity March, which was put on by the Canadian Coalition for Firearm Rights, Tracy Wilson's group, and Rod Giltakas, who we've also talked to on the show. And they had thousands and thousands and thousands of gun owners from all over the country, as far away as the Yukon, you may remember, to stand up to politicians and say, hey, you can't just walk all over us like this. And did the Liberals listen? Of course not. Fast forward a couple of months, and we have Bill C-21, which we talked about last week. People in Canada who aren't part of this community need to understand that there is in fact a community and that gun owners are just people. They're not, you know, scary gangbangers like Trudeau and Bill Blair would have you believe, but they're ordinary people. So the answer to that question, what can I do about it, came about in, in one way by producing a series that actually puts a human face and a human voice to all of these people who are targeted unfairly by Justin Trudeau's gun ban. We're proud to announce on this show a new series that's going to be coming out later this year in spring of 2021 called Assaulted, Justin Trudeau's War on Gun Owners. And production is actually starting on this next week. So I'm going to be down to just one show next week as I'm traveling because we're going to be traveling the country talking to real people, real Canadians, and trying to explain the stories of the untold victims of Justin Trudeau's assault on firearms. Here's a a little trailer we put together. I'm thrilled today to announce a brand new project from True North, a documentary series called Assaulted, Justin Trudeau's War on Gun Owners. It's easy to talk about guns in abstract terms. This is in fact what the Liberal government has been doing as it's enacted its crusade against lawful gun owners. They don't talk about the facts or the people, they talk about the guns. These big scary things that are not particularly understood by mainstream Canadian society and least of all the media and the politicians who are trying to ban them. This documentary series will tell the stories of the people who are affected, by these bans and restrictions, the family-owned gun business, sport shooters, individual people for whom firearms are a way of life. I'm going to be traveling the country giving a voice and putting a face to these people, the stories of the untold victims of Justin Trudeau's gun ban. This is a project that has never before been done in Canada, which is why it is so necessary. If you agree and want to make this happen, head on over to www.assaulted.ca. That's www.assaulted.ca, where we'll have all the information you need. And remember, anyone who contributes at least $100 will have their name in the credits of each episode of the series. Assaulted, Justin Trudeau's War on Gun Owners, coming to True North, Spring 2021. I'm excited about this project. I'm a gun owner myself. When I tell these stories, it's partially because I am a member of this community and I want people to understand who aren't part of it why it's not something that the government can continue to scapegoat, and why this won't even succeed at enacting the government's objectives, which are supposedly taking guns off the streets, making cities safer, and so on and so forth. And as you saw in that trailer there, this is something that you can actually be a part of if you head on over to the documentary's website, assaulted.ca, www.assaulted.ca. There's information about how you can contribute to this. And remember, we're going to have credits at the end of every episode, and anyone who donates at least a hundred dollars will be in the credits in all four episodes so i hope to see your name in those credits if you're able to give us a hand on this hugely important project so glad to be doing it and i know true north's whole team is looking forward to it that'll be coming up later this year we've got to take a break when we come back more of the andrew lawton show here on true north you're tuned in to the andrew lawton show welcome back to the Andrew Lawton show we've talked about some heavy stuff so far so let's take a delving into the area of woke television which believe it or not is increasingly become becoming the only form of television available to you and a few stories in Canada now the one I have to mention before I get into the Canadian ones is that the Muppet show is now one of the trigger warning programs of the world yeah the Muppet show is now getting an offensive content alert on Disney Plus so uh like many thing else, if you want to learn about the Rainbow Connection or you want to learn about the Muppet Show tonight or the Monomena or Kermit or Statler and Waldorf, any of these things, well, now you have to uh, subject yourself through uh, an impending hate crime because now you, only the adult accounts can view the Muppet Show. The Muppet Show is now getting an offensive content warning. At a certain point, uh, even like Tide commercials are going to be getting trigger warnings before them, but I digress. Uh, Big Brother Canada is back. This is the show that was making quarantine cool before quarantine existed, locking a whole bunch of people in a house and not letting them leave unless, of course, they're voted out. Well, Big Brother Canada is back this year. Last year, it actually had to be uh, suspended midway through the broadcast because of the COVID-19 restrictions. Uh, This it's back and the show has decided to make pronouns preferred pronouns a part of the contestant profile So the Big Brother uh, Twitter account had announced the contestants who are going to be on this year's show. One of them is actually transgender, so she's actually a a transgender woman, she's going to be the first on the show's history. You have Braden White who goes by he and him, you've got uh, Julie who goes by she and her, Austin goes by she, her, Ethan goes by he, him, and so on and so forth. And you may think, oh well Big Brother's being so progressive, they're being so woke, they're letting people choose, or forcing them even, to choose their preferred pronouns. Well, apparently that is transphobic too. Yes, Andrew Chiles, or Chiles, I don't know. He is a he-him, as I see from his Twitter account. He wants Big Brother to know that preferred pronouns is an inaccurate statement. Someone's pronouns is not a preference, but a reality. Beth says, I'm so excited you have a diverse and inclusive cast. But remember, preferred pronouns makes it sound like pronouns are a preference and that other pronouns are acceptable. This is harmful and causes misgendering. Nick writes, it's not preferred pronouns, just pronouns and Cody says the same thing preferred implies it's a choice it's not a choice so it goes to show that no matter how far you bend back you can far you can bend so far back that it's your back snaps And you will still be deemed not going far enough or actually making things worse. So uh, anyone who is like a social media intern for a television network needs to understand, like, don't even bother. It's never going to fly. No one's ever going to like it. And that's where things are. And the problem, of course, with not even trying is that you go into the world of blatant and brazen anti-Semitism as one Canadian show is being accused of. So I had never heard of this show. It has joined the legions of medical dramas like ER and Grey's Anatomy which may or may not still be on I honestly have no idea but they had this scene that went viral for all the wrong reasons
0: the graft where does it come from it's called an aloe bone graft it's harvested from a deceased donor
1: but you want to put a
0: dead leg inside of me a goyim leg from anyone an Arab
3: a woman or God forbid an Arab woman look you can't be lugging this metal cage around
0: no i don't consent ezreal without this next step you will never walk properly again
3: which means forget about basketball
0: which is obviously what he wants
2: it's god who heals what he creates
1: So so that baffling scene has been accused of being an anti-Semitic trope and not even particularly accurate as there is no uh, aversion in the Jewish faith, even among ultra-Orthodox Jews, to accepting bones from Muslims or Muslim women or Arab women or anything of the sort like that. This was picked up by American viewers because this show had been picked up on NBC and now NBC has said, oh, we're, we're not uh, playing this anymore. And now Chorus, which uh, runs... Global in Canada, on which the show originally appeared, has apologized. They sent a statement to Honest Reporting Canada in which they say they deeply regret all inaccuracies related to religious beliefs, as well as the negative portrayal of any religious community in our content, characters, or storylines. They do specifically call out the Jewish audience, but I wonder if they've done a broad sentence there, just in case there was like another episode coming down the pipe that was offensive to some other group. So they're just trying to get it all done in in one sort of catch-all now. And just before we wrap this segment up, in the world of wokeness, Ryerson University's student newspaper is abandoning the word Ryerson. This is actually quite shameful. And if you're a student at Ryerson whose student fees are going towards funding this school, you should be protesting this. It used to be the Ryerson Review of Journalism. Now it's the Review of Journalism. No, you didn't go mute there. I'm just, there's a blank space. I don't know how you say it. Do I put a bleep over? Okay, let's try it with a bleep. The (laughs) review of journalism. Yeah, that just sounds like I'm swearing about it, which you know what? On the inside, I actually am. So the review of journalism is now the blank space review of journalism. The reason is because we have to retroactively cancel Egerton Ryerson, the namesake of the school. This decision is currently until the end of the term, the end of the school year, and they're saying that they aren't officially changing the name, they're not including content that was previously published, but they want this year's publication to reflect that the name is under review. Because they say that the residential school system, which uh, Egerton Ryerson was a part of establishing, uh, was part of a cultural genocide. And the Truth and Reconciliation Commission calls on journalism programs and media schools to require education on the history of Aboriginal people. So they say that because the university has no mandatory education, all of the members of the Review's masthead have decided they're going to just purge their title while they understand the direction they're going to go in the future. As we've said time and time again, eventually there will be no names left because no one can withstand the critical lens of 2021, regardless of the point in time in which they existed. It won't be long before Ryerson University itself is done. Maybe it'll just be a blank university, which is pretty much the value of a degree from Ryerson these days, I'm sorry to say. We've got to wrap things up for the program today. We'll be back next week with more of Canada's most irreverent talk show. Thank you, God bless, and good day to you all.